Okay. <clears throat> so, um, one of the reasons that we're doing this study, um, just to kind of, by, by way of intro, is, is what Francis is saying in the video, I feel very, very seriously in my own heart um, that we may have been doing this church thing wrong for a little while. And uh, how have we been doing it wrong? Um, in your own heart, I think you can define that for yourself, but in a lot of ways, we're selfish. Uh, we're not willing to do uh, family with each other, okay? Some of us don't even do family like earthly family well, um, but this church thing is a family, and so um, we have a hard time uh, getting along. We have a hard time accepting other people's opinions. We have ex- a hard time uh, dealing gracefully with other people's mistakes, um, and I think, that, and this is what's interesting about it, when you start thinking about the church and how, how God really set it up, um, a lot of us get thinking really quickly about how, yeah, you're right. You know, people need to forgive me when I mess up. And we really need to learn how to, you know, people need to forgive me. And, and I think we, we oftentimes put the emphasis on who needs to forgive us or deal gracefully with us when the truth is, is we need that just as much as we need to forgive uh, others around us and deal gracefully with the people around us. Um, this is not a sermon where I can wrap it up at the end, okay? So, so please know that before we jump in. Like, this is not like the starting place where, where by the, the next 20 minutes we wrap this thing up and we'll all like intuitively know how we're supposed to move forward um, because it's very, very difficult, okay? It's not easy to just say we should be loving each other and then just to go do it perfectly. For the, It's not gonna happen, okay? So we're all gonna mess up. We're all gonna have mistakes. Um, but the truth is, is that there are a lot of people that, that one, don't think they need the church, okay? And they don't need the church. But the way we were designed was to do life together while we're pursuing Jesus together, okay? We ended last week saying, pursue Jesus with every fiber of your being, and in order to do that well, the way you were designed to, you need to pursue that with the people uh, in your faith family, okay? So like Francis said, if you have accepted Christ, if you're following Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you are a child of God and you are, you're actually, you're my family, okay? Um, and, and a common misconception, I was talking to a student, um, I don't know if you call him an agnostic or an atheist, but um, the other day he said that we're all children of God, aren't we? And I had to correct him. It's not easy to say this, but no, you're not, you're not a child of God if you haven't accepted Christ. And so um, that seems like something that's very uh, rude and very offensive, but the truth is, is that you're not a child of God unless you accept um, his offer of grace and hope. Okay, so we're not all children of God. We, we all are kind of because he created us, but in the sense that we're in God's family, no, we're, no, we're not. Um, and so when we uh, accept Christ and we have this relationship with God and we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, like Francis said, you would think that like, that would be enough. And, and a lot of times it is easier. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how you are, but I do love to be around people, but I can't do that 24-7. I just can't. Like, my, um, my, the tests, the personality tests that I take and, and the strengths tests that I take say that you will do better in your job and with your family and with your relationships if you draw back from the crowd 
uh, pretty frequently throughout the week to get some thinking done, okay? And, and so I've taken that and I've, I've applied that to my life, but in, in the true sense of what, how God created me to be and how God created you to be is that we're supposed to do this thing called life together, okay? Um, most certainly when we accept Christ and when we're trying to pursue Jesus together. And so that's very important. And so I could talk about this for weeks and weeks and weeks, but we've only got um, the next 20 minutes or so to talk about the next couple chapters. And so, uh, like I said, we're going to be in uh, Acts 3. Um, is it too dark in here for you guys, by the way? It, it is? I heard one yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, Shalene, would you flip on all those top lights? Just flip them all. It's going to get kind of ugly in here, but I, I'd prefer you guys to be able to read if that's what you want to do. Um, and then the other set, they're upside down, I think, but yeah, cool. Is that better? If it's not, you're blind. Okay. Um, so, so we're going to be in chapter three. Um, quick recap on what we hit last week. Um, <clears throat> by the way, if you were not here last week and you did not see my Facebook uh, statuses or tweets, um, it would be, I, I'm just going to recommend you do this, not because I'm an amazing speaker, but because what the scripture has to say I think is going to pop out at you. Bring your Bible, bring your notebook, and bring a pen and take some notes. Um, maybe even bring a highlighter and start mark. Here's what I've just started doing. I've never been a guy that highlights or circles in my Bible. So all those times that the pastor says, highlight this verse or circle this verse, I'm like, no, I don't want to because I didn't like doing that. But I've just started doing it. What I've, what I've started doing is I started reading an Acts and I started just highlighting the verses that pop out to me and especially, especially the verses that show how people are responding to what God is doing um, among his people, okay? So in Acts 1, you have uh, God's people. There's not many of them uh, that have seen Jesus after he resurrected from the grave. And then you have... Um, <clears throat> Uh, Jesus ascending into heaven, and he's like his last parting words is very, very important. It's like the theme verse of Acts, and I'll just read it verbatim. Acts 1.8 says, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's all kinds of things. I could do a whole sermon on that verse, but I'm not going to because we've got to move on. But here's the deal. Interesting thing about that, they did not know what the Holy Spirit was at that point. They knew who Jesus was. They knew the Son of God. They did not know the Holy Spirit of God necessarily. They may have heard things about him in the, uh, in the prophecies and, and even through Jesus, but they didn't know who Jesus was even when they were fallen because he'd say these things that were confusing and they didn't really understand. And so Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit is going to come but is not there yet, and you've got Jesus' disciples like, ah disappointed, right? Just disappointed, but they're faithful. So what he says is you need to wait. Don't do any ministry until I give you the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is who empowers them, who convicts them, who empowers us, who convicts us, who comforts us. Um, if you ever have a moment where you feel like you're reading the scripture and then something like boom pops out at you, the Holy Spirit like is is there, like I said, if, you, if, you, if you've accepted Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Holy Spirit is moving in you and convicting you, okay? So, so yes, we have this thing called a conscience, but it's not the same thing as a Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit, I should say. There's a difference, okay? So if you've accepted Christ, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. So they're waiting, and then Acts 2 happens, um, and, and 
what happens is they're all waiting, they're praying with one mind, one heart, one accord, they're unified, and when that happens, the Holy Spirit drops on them, and all this crazy stuff happens. A couple things I learned this week that I wish I could have shared last week. Um, It says a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I did not know, and I should have known this, but the, uh, the spirit word and wind, they're actually the same word, okay? So when it says the sound like a mighty rushing wind came into uh, the temple, that was the spirit coming down, okay? So you have the fire. What happens when you have fire and wind mix? Like wildfires, like a blaze, right? And it, and it goes nuts. And, and on, on one hand, you're thinking, okay, the, what happens when the wind hits the flame? It could either blow it out or, or, or it blazes, okay? And that's what, that's what this is referring to. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, another important thing, an interesting thing about the word witnesses. Listen, what, what, what do you think your de- definition of witness is? What would you say? You see it, right? That's, that's one very important part. There's another important part. <clears throat> hmm? Experiencing it, Okay. The word uh, in the original language means martyr. It doesn't mean necessarily that you just see what happens and then you, you tell other people, even though that is one huge part of the word witness. The other huge part is that he's actually saying, you're going to be my martyrs. So he's, he's saying, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to die for my name. Like, that's kind of interesting. So Acts 2 happens, the Holy Spirit comes, um, and, and then uh, they start speaking in different languages, and everyone's uh, uh, criticizing them and, and saying they're drunk. And then Peter, like, he just mouths off. He, he gives this whole sermon, and then everyone gets saved, okay? He's, he's not polite. He's not seeker-sensitive. He just tells the truth. Um, he says, this Jesus whom you crucified, guess what? He was the Messiah, you screwed up, even though it was a prophecy, so it was a good thing that you killed him because he fulfilled the prophecy, but you killed the Messiah, and they all get saved, okay? And so, so that happens, and then in the very last part of uh, Acts 2, it's a lot of what he was talking about on the video. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. All who believed uh, were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing through the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food, glad and generous hearts, praising God. And here's, here's the, the part that gets me. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what happens is, is the group becomes unified and God moves. That's what I see in Acts, okay? Now, what I want you to do I hope you brought your Bible. I hope you can maybe go home and grab a Bible. If you do not have a Bible, we want to get one for you, okay? We will put one in your hands. But we desperately want you to be reading this because if you pay very close attention to what happens when God's people, one, obey him, wait for him to do the work, okay, for his Holy Spirit, and then get unified with other believers, then big things happen. And not only do big things happen, but other people notice. And so... Like, you have thousands of people getting saved. Why? Because they see what it really looks like when believers are unified. And I would have to say that reading those last couple verses, it's not necessarily what the church looks like today. And I'm saying that while I'm serving in a church and being a part of a church family who I believe is one of the most kind uh, church families that I've ever been a part of. 
okay? You guys have it pretty good. You probably don't know it, okay? So if you're a member of this church, there are a lot of churches out there that have a lot of grumbling and a lot of complaining, and we have that, okay? We have that. We have the grumblers. We have the complainers. But for the most part, the people that you're doing church with on Sunday, on Wednesday, throughout the week are a group of unified believers, okay? And what, what I want to do is look at what, what Acts has to say about when we really obey, when we really listen to him, and when we get unified together, okay? So we're going to start in verse 3. Um, and, and if you were not here last week, here's, here's my plan. This is very different from what I usually do. I usually cut little verses out. We're going to read through the whole thing, okay? We're not reading through the whole book of Acts tonight, but, but from the beginning to the end tonight, we will read every single word. And what I would like you to do, if you have a Bible in your hands, um, is if you want to, and I'm not telling you to, mark it up. If there's something that pops out at you, highlight it, circle it. Um, that helps me, um, and it's, it's really teaching me what God is doing <clears throat> with this group of people. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour, okay, so that's a, like a Jewish custom. Peter was a Jew who is now following Christ. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms or gifts of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate, of the temple, asking for alms. And here's the verse I, I highlighted. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Can I, can I just make a very bold statement about our churches today? I don't think anyone is amazed. I think we're bored. And if you're feeling that, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I think a lot of us are waiting for God to do the big thing. Now, I think in a lot of cases, God is doing something big, and we're too uh, self-involved to see it, okay? And sometimes miracles are happening, and they're not the miracles that we wanted. For instance, look at this guy. What does he ask of Peter and John? This thing called alms, okay? And that is just a gift. That's a handout. This guy is panhandling. He's holding his hat out and saying, can I have some money, okay? And, and what do you do when you see a panhandler? Don't say it out loud if you're feeling kind of guilty. My dad taught me never to give to him. Sorry, dad, if you're watching this. Okay? Some of us feel guilty, and so we give something out of, out of just blind guilt. Maybe not compassion. Maybe it is compassion. But he's asking for what? He's asking for money. Does he need money? How many times do you pray for something that you actually don't need? It's kind of a, 
crazy thought to look at it. He says, he's holding out his hands and he's asking for money. And Peter and John are saying, listen, we don't even have money, but we don't think you need money. We think you need healed, okay? And that is something that only God can bring. Now, listen, all eyes on me real quick. I'm about to enter into something that may make you feel very, very uncomfortable, okay? It's making me feel a little uncomfortable. There are things that I've been taught about life and about the Bible that I've always, always, always just taken, um, not taken for granted, but I've taken it without studying it on my own. These miracles that are happening in Acts, what I see like on TV is I see what looks like abuse, okay? Um, I see people saying, if you send me $1,000, then I'll pray for you, or I'll send you something that's anointed, and you'll be healed, or something like that. I see abuse, okay? So what has happened in my own head is I said, these miracles, they don't happen today. They just happened in, like, Acts and, and like, the Daniel in the lion's den and, the, and the, the, you know, all these other things. It just happened in the Bible. They don't happen anymore. I was even taught um, a lot in college that that is what, um, that is what is true. That was a, a Bible college. I was taught all the different uh, sides, but I was always led to believe that, hey, listen, these things really don't happen anymore. <clears throat> so here's what I've done in my own heart, and this is where I'm going to get kind of uncomfortable. Um, I'm not sure if we ever should say that God can't heal someone anymore. Like, I've always kind of believed that, like, if someone's blind, they're just going to be blind, right? And we can pray for them, but really, is that going to help? And, like, if they can't walk or if they have a disease, um, like AIDS, we don't have a cure for AIDS, do you really believe, and you don't have to answer this out loud, do you really believe that God could cure AIDS if he wanted to? Like, does he have the power to cure AIDS? Here's what I, I believe he does. I believe he does. And I, I'm not God, so I can't tell you why or why not um, that we have a cure for AIDS or don't, and we currently don't, you know, and so people are dying of AIDS. Um, could God heal people? Yes. And I, I believe we see God healing people. Here's where I want to just get kind of, I want to open myself up to whatever this says from now on. I've always taken my perspective to the Bible. And listen, guys, all I'm, that is wrong. That is wrong. I'm taking a, a 2011 American mindset to the Bible like I know what God is up to. And that is wrong. That's absolutely not the right way to do it. So, so you can't look at what the Bible says and just think, well, if Jesus lived in 2011, you know, this is what it would mean. Well, he didn't. Like, he was a homeless man who was the son of God. That doesn't relate to anything we know, you know? And so we can't necessarily just put our own, like, twist on it. So anyway, you have this guy who's asking for money. Peter and John say, listen, in the name of Jesus, we're going we're gonna to pray for you to be healed, now, Peter and John were very bold. They didn't say, we're going to pray for you to be healed. He said, what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, here's what I'm thinking. If that's me, I'm afraid to say, rise up and walk. Because what happens after that? If he doesn't rise up and walk, I'm embarrassed. Jesus looks like he's not the real God. 
So I don't know how that works. I don't know how that plays out. For the first time, I'm really kind of letting myself be open to that, which is sad that I'm 28 years old, and for the first time, I'm saying, you know, Jesus really could do these miracles. He really could. It wasn't even Jesus. I mean, it was the power of Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Peter and John, but it was through Peter and John. So let me ask you this. If the Holy Spirit could do miracles through Peter and John, can he do miracles through you? I'll let you answer that for yourself. I've always, in my own uh, understanding of what life is really like, I've always said no. And I don't know that I can honestly say that. Let the uncomfort just kind of sit there for a little bit, okay? Because the Bible says some things about life and Mark has always taken his ideas into the Bible, and I, and I think I need to do it the opposite way. I think I need to see the Bible as my filter, okay? So we move on in verse 11. <clears throat> While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, that's another thing I highlighted, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Sol- Solomon's. Um, a portico is actually, if you were to turn around and walk out, it's almost exactly like Uh, the front of this building. It's like a porch that's held up by columns. Okay, so think White House, think 1010 building. Um, Ran together in them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety uh, or holiness is the word, uh, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and, des- uh, and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. <laughs> you killed the, isn't that kind of ironic? You killed the author of life. You, whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. And by his name, I'm sorry, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man uh, this perfect health and in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled, okay? So he's saying, like, we've known this was going to happen, okay? There were prophecies that Jesus was going to suffer and die and raise again, and, and here we are. So he's saying, do you believe yet? Like, he just did a major miracle. Do you believe yet? And so here's what he says. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. And the times, I'm sorry, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He's talking about their great, 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 
great, great, great, great, great, great, great grandpa, okay? Like, he's saying, your great, 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 great grandpa is saying all these things, and you are being a part of, like, Jesus' death and resurrection right now. You're a part of the story that's being told for, for centuries and millennia on. Like, don't you see that all these prophecies are being fulfilled? And all these people are Jews that he's talking to who would know all the prophecies that were fulfilled. Like, they know good and well, okay? So there's probably sweat dropping down their brow as they're saying, yeah, I think this is right. I think that was the Messiah. Um, And so God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first and bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness, okay? Um, so this is, this is Peter talking. Here's what Peter does. When Peter gets a hold of the Holy Spirit, what happens? He just speaks the truth whether it's gonna get him killed or not. Like, he's bold. Does that have any bear on, on how you act around your friends in school? If you've experienced Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, if you're a Christian, to be weak around people who ask you if you're a Christian or what you believe is not a characteristic of a Christ follower. A Christ follower is bold. With meekness and gentleness, says the later uh, writers in the New Testament, but boldness that, that in that culture would have gotten you killed. Um, Okay, we're going we're gonna to read, we're, we need to, we need to uh, leave in just a minute, but I want to read this next portion for you before we go. Okay, so we're starting in verse four, or chapter four. <clears throat> and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because the teaching, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So what you have is you have people preaching the word with boldness, and you have some people over here accepting, and still you have a Jesus who's ascended, you have prophecies being fulfilled, and what happens? The religious rulers and the city rulers are what? Greatly annoyed. Okay, so if you're bold with your message, or with Christ's message actually, um, there will be people around you that get greatly annoyed, okay? There will be criticizers, there will be mockers, and that shouldn't be a surprise to you. But that shouldn't be a reason not to speak the truth, okay? Because, why? Because this is what happens next. Verse five, on the next day the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were high priests of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, okay, that is important. Uh, we don't have time to talk about that. Next week we will hit filled with the Holy Spirit hard. That is important. Um, Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning, concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, this guy could get himself killed, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. He's saying, if you want to put me in jail because we healed someone, go for it. 
Just know that we didn't do it, that Jesus did it. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must save. Here comes a highlighter verse. This is, uh, this is a big verse for me. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Do people recognize that you've been with Jesus or do you look like the crowd? Do you look like the mockers? What comes out of your mouth? What, what do you do with your life? Do people recognize that you've been with Jesus or is it more like they blend in with the crowd? But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, the proof is right there. They had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Do you hear what he's saying? Like, We're just going to shut them up. We can't get them in jail for anything, but we're going to try to shut them up. There's going to be people that try to shut you up. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Okay, so, so then in, in verse 23 to 31, they, um, they celebrate. I, I'm going to do the rest of this in chapter 5. Um, I'm going to try to actually do this between now and and next Wednesday uh, via video so we can hit six because we are going to run out of time. This, you guys realize school starting in like six weeks? Like I know that's crazy. All of a sudden that was just really depressing. <laughs> like Bible, Bible, Bible. Oh yeah, school starting soon. Um, here's the deal. We've got to finish this because I want to get through the whole book. Here's my takeaway. So don't, don't lose me real quick. Here's my takeaway. Jesus is absolutely worthy of trust in every area of your life. And this thing called fellowship that, that, that we learned about in the video and that we're reading about in Acts 2 and, and, and on, and, and we're not done with this idea of unity. That's not over, okay? But look at this. this as soon as the Holy Spirit came and, and, and fell on the church and indwelt the men in the church and the women and the children, the problem started coming up. You notice that? Because you've got Acts 2, you've got preaching, and then a lot of people get saved, and they're all happy, and they're all unified, and then what happens? Problems. There's criticisms, there's mocking, there's people that can't get along, and we're going to get to that, okay? Because here's the truth. Can I just be really honest with you guys? This is not just your generation. This is not just the youth ministry. This is not just um, the students in, in this county or in the churches of this county. You guys, you guys are not good at getting along with each other. 
We love to be rude. We love to judge people, whether that's right or wrong. We love to talk about people. Um, Jesus said to put others first above yourself as if they're more important than you, which is how he exemplified that by dying so that we could all have salvation. Here's the truth. This is the one thing that burdens me most as a pastor, that we can't figure out how to get along as a church family. Let that, let that kind of sink in. There are people that you may hate in your church family, and that is not to be there. There are people that you talk about in a, in a wrong way in your church family, and that's not to be there. Not only do you uh, want what you deserve and you want to do faith and, and life how you want to, which is, is ultimate selfishness, um, but the Bible says that they were sharing as each had need, okay? And, and they were with one mind and one accord. Here's the deal, guys. We're a selfish generation. We are. And, and, and this is not the preacher on the stage who has it all right telling you guys that you need to get it right too because I, I'm selfish as well. I've got it wrong as well. I have those thoughts as well. But here's the deal. You've got to fight against that, okay? Here's what I don't want to see happen. I don't want us to, to, to continue to wear the mask of, well, I'm just not perfect or this is the way that I, I, I am and you're just going to have to be okay with that. You're just going to have to deal with that. That's not okay. Like, that was never in the Bible. What's in the Bible? Be holy as your Father and heaven is holy. Respect other people. Treat them as more important than yourself. Have this mind of Christ. And so, so what I'm seeing is that if you want to experience God, the fullness of God, You've got to change some, some of the ways that you interact with your church family, okay? And I don't, secondarily, okay, second thing, I don't want you to ever think that being a Christian is just about reaching people for Jesus, although that is super important. Now, you're hearing something out of my mouth that you may think like, whoa, that's, that's weird because we've been doing this all year trying to reach people for Jesus. It's important. It's our mission to share the gospel with the people who don't have it. It's our mission to introduce people to Jesus. Correct. But the truth is, is that you are a Christ follower first and only first because you want God who he is because that's the way it was meant to be. You don't want Jesus because you get heaven out of the deal. You don't want Jesus because you get prayers answered and because you get this feeling like you're not going to hell anymore? Like, wrong. That's wrong. We should be following Jesus because, because he's God, because he created us to have a relationship with him, not because we get something from it. And then secondarily, we shouldn't just be a Christian to reach other people Okay, because the first thing that has to happen is we have to have our relationship with Jesus. Okay, so it's not like you wake up every morning and you go. Okay, you've first got to have your relationship with Jesus. When you 
begin a relationship with Jesus, that is great. You began one. But a relationship, hopefully we all are learning or have learned. Um, If you've been in a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend or just friends, you can't just begin a friendship with someone and then expect it to be perfect without any work. It's not the way it works. I didn't get married to my wife and then stop talking to her and stop serving her and stop loving her. Like, how bad would our marriage be if I was just like, I put a ring on your finger. I don't need to talk to you. Like, that's over. No, we we would be divorced. There's all kinds of, of things that the Acts is going to hopefully draw out for you. Um, I mean, Acts is so rich in, in what it's like to be a Christ follower, what it's like to be used by God, what it's like to see uh, the church multiply, because it's supposed to. It's supposed to. It's not supposed to be boring. It really isn't. It's supposed to be risky and, and sometimes ugly and messy. But we're supposed to pursue unity through that as we're pursuing Jesus together. And so what you're seeing is is a group of people that saw Jesus for who he really is and believed his promises and believed that what he said was true. And then what happened? Their lives were changed. They were different. If your life hasn't changed, it's time to check yourself. It really is time to check yourself. If you're um, having a hard time being with church people, welcome. Welcome. Because we all have issues, okay? I have major issues. And guess what? You get to deal with me. Because I'm in your church family. And eventually, when we all die and go to heaven, or if Jesus comes back first, we're going to have to learn how to do it anyway for eternity, And I don't mean that in a bad sense. It's going to be good. But why grumble and complain now? There's so much more I want to say, but we've got to stop. We're out of time. Um, Come back next week. We're going to continue this. Um, This summer, can I just, this summer we are going to be um, stripping away the the, uh, glittery elements of what church services have looked like in the past. And uh, like I said, it's not that those aren't fun or good or anything, but I feel like God is just saying, I've got one thing for you to focus on this summer, and I just want you to drill in on that. So it's making my life easier because there's all these elements that we don't have to prepare anymore. Um, And and listen, if you want to lead worship, pursue it. I'm I'm not going to pursue you. If you want to lead worship, if you want to serve in that way, it's not if you want to get on a stage and play so everyone can see you. If you want to serve by leading your peers in worship, then pursue it by, by letting me know or by coming up to the office to uh, practice and things like that. Um, other than that, our services are going to be very stripped down, very um, Bible study-ish. And if that sounds boring to you, then, uh, then I'm sorry because if you're not getting out of this what I'm getting out of this, you're not paying close enough attention. There, there, is, there, there is richness in here. Okay, so here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Don't let this be a Wednesday night thing. Um, Go home and continue to study this book, uh, Acts or otherwise.
um, I am going to do my absolute best to provide resources throughout the week that help you study this book. Um, But don't let this be, oh, on Wednesday nights I read the Bible and I feel really good about myself. I kind of get clarity about what life is supposed to look like. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday rolls around and you read your Bible again because, you know, you got the pastor and you got to open it up and then Monday, Tuesday. And then Wednesday, you know what, don't, don't let it be that. That's not what it's supposed to be, okay? Um, there's good stuff in here and I want to I explore that together. Um, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your son and, and, and for your Holy Spirit. I pray that we wouldn't neglect uh, what your word says about what we're supposed to do um, in response to what you said and what you've done. I want to get real about this thing called church and fellowship and teaching and evangelism and ministry and, and all those things. Um, God, I pray that you would enlighten your scriptures in our lives. I pray that it would pop off the page at us that we would be able to uh, take something new and fresh uh, and, and apply it to, to our lives as we pursue you, God. I desperately pray over this group of students that this isn't just the thing that we do on Wednesday nights. Pursuing you is the very most important thing that we could do with our lives. And to make it a Wednesday night thing is spitting in your face. It's, it's idolatry. And so God, I pray that we would... Um, have a correct view of you and that we would pursue you and that we would learn about you and that this relationship with you would just get stronger and more intimate. I pray that over these students, God. I prayed over me. I prayed over my family. I prayed over our church staff, our volunteers, our adults, our whole church, our kids. God, I pray that we would pursue you. And so, God, we, uh, we thank you for tonight and I pray that you would keep us safe and keep us unified. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.